God, we just thank you so much for uh, Terry Terry coming and, and speaking. Lord, we thank you for all of the knowledge and revelation that you've deposited in her, that um, she gets a deposit in us now, Lord, and um, or you deposit through her, God. And so we just bless her today, God, to just speak all the words that you have um, and just to share all the things that you have for her to share. Lord, we, uh, we open our hearts and our minds completely to you, Lord, and we just um, surrender this time to you, Lord. And we ask that you would just... Um, that you would just deposit uh, whatever it is that you want into us and that we'll carry it with us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Review. What is halakha? Halakha. How to walk it out. Exactly. How do I walk life out? Can I erase Janine and Elaine a little bit? Yes. You sure? I don't want to mess somebody's life up here. Okay, uh, halakha means to walk life out. And then we talked a little bit about the idea of praise. What word is the root of the word praise? What is it? Pardon me? Yehuda. Yeah, I, I like that you said Barak. You're in the right category, but uh, Barak means something else. What does Barak mean? Oh, I'm going to cry. Okay. All right. Let's do this. No, no, no. All that proves is that I didn't teach it well enough for you to remember. That's all that proves. No, no. Listen to me. Listen to me. No, I, and I don't even mind that. Because a teacher will make you... The word teach means to cause you to learn. doesn't mean to stand up here and be a talking head. It means that if I'm a teacher... Oh, how's your head today, Stephen? Better? Okay. So what... What a teacher's job is to cause. The scripture that uses this, it says, teach me your statutes, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. In other words, cause me to learn it. And if, I, if you don't learn it, I haven't taught. Now that's the philosophy of Jesus. If you don't learn it, I haven't really taught it. That's why he taught the same message five billion times. Because we don't get it. And so it doesn't hurt my feelings. I said I'd cry, but I won't, Okay. I'll, I'll hold it in. Okay, so halakha means to, tell me again, let's review, it doesn't kill us. Halakha means, walk it out. Halakha, I'm going to write it here because sometimes it's the, you have to see it. It means to walk it out. Okay, what's this word mean? Uh, barak. To go low. To go low? Well, no, this means to kneel. To kneel in order to what? To give a part of yourself. To give a part of yourself, to come with a filled palm is what it exactly says. To come with a filled palm. So what does uh, <clears throat> toda mean? She's got it. She's heard it twice. That's why. Toda. Actually, yesterday, Ricky, when he was here, said, come on, lift your hands. You didn't feel like it. You just did it because he said so. Toda means that I lift my hands because I choose to do it. It's an act of my will. Hands up equals my will. What's the next word I'm going to ask you, which is like toda, your hands go up. Do you remember? You can cheat and look at your notes. Yada, yada very good. All right. And yada, what's the difference between toda and yada, someone tell me? Because of my heart. Now I put my hands up, not because somebody chided me to do it, but because I love God. Both of those honor him. Yes? Say yes. yes. So tonight at this, uh, what's the thing tonight? What's the thing? The Hanakuda, yeah, whatever. Is that what it's called, Hanakuda? Oh, Hana, oh, Hana, okay, okay. Oh, Hana, oh, Hana, 
Ohana is the highest. You guys don't know that song, okay. Yada, okay. Then the last word we talked about yesterday was halal. What does that mean? You did it. Oh, 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 you can cheat. To go nuts, to act like a fool because you've seen the great authority. It me, like JJ, or like my dancing friend, Santi. Those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, if those of you that are joining my be on Facebook, you'll see a lovely video of Santi. <laughs> Since I will be even more unilly dignified. He couldn't figure out that word, undignified. <laughs> it was great, okay? So all of these are expressions of praise. Praise is the word that somebody tried to give me a minute ago, Yehuda or Judah. And praise means that I actually show uh, with a compliment, I'm complimenting Jesus. I'm telling him, yep, I like it. When I bend my knee and say, here's a piece of me, it's a compliment to him. I don't got to do that. When I lift my hands, when I don't feel like it, that's a compliment to him. When I lift my hands, when I do feel like it, that's a compliment to him. And when I run around the church because suddenly I have seen the great authority, which is the pictograph for the word halal, I've seen this extraordinary authority. Like, let's just suppose, I don't know, let's think of somebody important. Mike, well, he's dead. Uh, let's don't bring in someone dead. Let's bring in, who's an important person in the world today? Okay. Okay. Suppose, suppose, let's pick another one. An important, okay, the Pope. That's good. Okay, the Pope. So suppose the Pope shows up to this little dinky room. And even though you may not agree or disagree with him, you would go, look at that authority because he carries that position. You'd do it to Obama. Obama. Yeah. (laughs) That guy too. You would do it to him as well. So this has to do with, like, I see this authority. I see this huge authority. Now today we're going to talk about music, the passion of music. I understand you had a guy that wants to start an orchestra, huh? Yeah, those of you that want to play the violin, that's great. Personally, I want to bring a school here that teaches you how to, I do. I got this itch, Sam, I got this itch. About what? Well, no, I would do that too, but I'd like to, uh, God, I'd love to do this. Well, anyhow, that's beyond the, I thought about it all night. Okay, I, when I, we went to dinner last night with the, we went to the, Sushi place, right? Yeah. What's that place called? Hashibibe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we went to that, and I didn't have fish because I like it in my mouth. It make, it's like kimchi in my system. It's like roto-rooter, you know, so I, did, I just walked away from that. But we were talking about, like, I'll draw our school for you, and this is what I'd like to have happen here. Can I do that? It's okay, because we are going to talk about music. Okay. So our school... FMA, and I'm not trying to wean people away. I just want to bring something here. Okay, no, no, no. I want you to see this, okay? Okay, our school is basically four things. This is uh, being on a team. Everybody's on a team starting second semester. So you're playing with other musicians, no matter your level, whatever you're in. Okay, and you play on this the whole time you're at FMA. You have a two-year program or you have a four-year. doesn't matter. 
So what I could do is I'm thinking, like, how could we do this? We could do a two-year to begin with here. So here you have a team. Everybody's on a team. And what you need, or if you come to us, the other thing for our school is that you have theology. Everybody takes Bible, strong Bible classes. So it's not just, you know, um, now I lay me down to sleep a bag of peanuts at my feet. If I should die before I wake, give them to my brother Jake. You know, it's not that. It's, it's meaty theology, meaty, okay? Then you have, so these are two kind of separate issues that go the whole time. Over here, you have two music classes. One is called whatever your instrument is. You're a singer, good. Singer, you're a, a, a guitar player, you're a keys player, whatever it is. You're a cello player, whatever, I'll just do all this. So you take lessons, you take group lessons here, no more than about two or three people in a group, so people can get to you. So you take group lessons, and there are six levels here. One, two, three, four, five, six levels. There are also six levels of this other one, which is what we call, we used to call it key set. Now we just call it uh, theory, but it really isn't just theory. It's really keys and theory. Everybody in this class, no matter how good, bad, terrible you are, you all learn to play keys. So there's no way to get around that. Piano. Everybody has to do that. So what we do is we assess you. You come in. And how many people in here have played piano for a couple years? Just missed. Okay? You're gonna, probably going to assess right in around level two or three, probably, to be really honest. So you come in there, and you have to finish then from two to six. That each of those is a, is a semester. So let's say three to six. So here's one, two, three, four, five. Uh, what is that? Three, one, two, three, four. Four extra semesters after you come into three, uh, at level three, and then you're out of that. Now, at the same time, we come in and we assess you in your instrument. So let's just say the guitar player. Where's my friend? He left. JJ. JJ. Oh, there he is. Okay. So I probably am going to put JJ if I assess him. Mm, I'm probably going to put him pretty high. He plays pretty good. But he doesn't play keys as good. So I'm going to put him probably at four on guitar and maybe three or two on keys, depending upon where he is. I'm just making this up. Okay. So you can come to this school and not know how to play anything. Because our vision is that the ends of the earth would sing and be filled with the knowledge of God through your instrument and through your voice. So that's our purpose. So what happens here is, in the meantime, you have to spend 24 hours in the prayer room. And you say, well, we have a prayer room here. But over there, this is the place that you can do a lot of your theology homework. It sounds crazy. But you also can engage. That's a lot of time in the prayer room. It gets boring. Can I say that straight up? Doesn't matter. It's like running. It gets boring after. But in the meantime, you get these muscles and the six-pack, <laughs> which you can plainly see I do not have. <laughs> so at the end of four years, if you do this all the way through, once you're done with these levels, this is what we call the core courses right here. You keep doing more theology. You keep doing uh, staying on your team. And we move you into teams that are now kind of more skill-based. So like in the upper levels, you're going to be playing with kids that really know what they're doing. Okay? And the theology gets meatier and meatier as you go up here. But these two classes, once you're finished with that, you go into a thing called advanced classes. And we have about 35 advanced classes, those being things like, I've finished both of these. I can play guitar. I can play keys. I've decided I want to do sound tech. So you can go into sound tech.
say, oh, well, I've done all that other, I've done both of those, I can play keys and I can sing really well, but I don't know how to play guitar. So you can take what we call a secondary instrument. So you say, oh, I always wanted to play keys, guitar, and sing. You can get it all. And we go through about 35 classes, one being songwriting, a couple of levels of that. Um, uh, keys improv, what all that stuff that you like me to do in there. Uh, we got guitar improv. We got we got about 35 advanced classes. I can't say them all. So what you do is once you've finished those two years, you are allowed to take this these advanced classes. Now once you move into this, once you've done this for two years, at the beginning of your third year, you can pick a major. Your major could be the following. You say, I want to stay in kind of this general thing, which is called the worship track or the worship major, which means I keep doing this. I just keep inc including this. And my theology then becomes more focused towards worship. And then the other thing you can do is you can do an education. In education, what we do is we say, okay, you want to you wanna go to the ends of the earth, but you want to be more than just an evangelist. After you evangelize them, you want to teach them to play an instrument. So we teach you how to be a teacher, which is what i am kind of been referring to when I say things like uh, repetition, you know, as our friend, that kind of thing. You can also do what's called performance. Performance means that you stop with your theology. These two things stop. And you spend six hours a day practicing. So you get better. Okay? That's the school I want to see happen here. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if we could have one of those here? Even for a year, if we could do it for a year as a pilot program. I'm serious about this. I mean, this is beating in my chest. All right, okay. So be that as it may, you need to know some of the things about the power of music. Now, yesterday, uh, Ricky showed us that great video. Did you all get that? I did. I went, oh, my God, this is amazing. So can I erase that? Yes. yes. You can erase everything here. I can erase everything ever? No, it's okay. I'm, I'm, can I erase the big junk here? Yes, okay. All right, so let's talk today about another expression of a compliment to God. The compliments to God so far have been music-less, they do not carry any music with them. Anybody in the room can give God a compliment, even if they don't sing. They can do it by acting crazy and or lifting their hands, exhibited by those words that I told you yesterday, toda, yada, and halal. By the way, there are three words known all over the earth that every language understands. Hallelujah. Everybody understands that. Okay. Amen. And Coca-Cola. <laughs> So these are principles that must be something from heaven, I'm believing. <laughs> All right. If you would turn in your Bibles to, a, to this book of Psalms, and I'll tell you which one in just a second. Okay, hold on. All right. <clears throat> book of Psalms. <clears throat> I'm looking. Give me a second here. Book of Psalms. I want to talk to you this morning about music. Hold on. I haven't quite found it. Music. Oh, there's prophecy. I don't want to talk about prophecy. I want to talk about music. Ah, here we go. Okay. Yesterday, Ricky really made a big deal about the prophetic, which is, I love that he does that. But pretty much when we play with our heart, the word prophetic sounds big and spooky and scary. But the minute that I sit down at the keyboard and I begin to tell 
God is at that particular moment for me. That's prophetic. What you need, sweetie? Your what? Your Bible? Oh. Psalm 147, 7. Psalm 147, 7. JJ, I'm putting these things right here in case you need it. Okay? Psalm 147, 7. Where's the thing? Somebody read it for me, please. Thank you, Lord, for being true to me. You have shown me that you are God liar. Or liar. Okay? Okay, give thanksgiving. In other words, there, here's another concept of praising God. So this is a connection between yesterday and today. Yesterday we talked about yada, toda, and what was the other one? Halal, yes, very good, Terry, thank you. We talked about these three. We're going to go on with our list now in this Psalm 147. Psalm 147.7. And she read it, and I'm going to read it from my version because I don't remember what she said. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, is what mine says. Is that close to what most of yours says? Okay. Notice it says sing praise. It doesn't say sing songs. It says sing praise. Now, praise, that means a compliment. So I'm going to sing a compliment on an instrument. The word is, the Hebrew word is for this praise is zamar. You had yada, toda, halal, and now here comes zamar. Zamar <clears throat> means to literally sing upon your instrument. You say, what? I don't want the ham. How the ham do you do that? Well, what you do is, first of all, I want to talk to you about how powerful sound is, any kind of sound, all right? Now, I think my friend Joseph teaches a little bit about this, so I may step on some of your lines, or you may have heard this and just look interested even if you're not, okay? All right. <clears throat> there is, according to, the, uh, according to physics, a vibration occurs. Vibration is in everything. Vibration, everything is vibrating. Everything. Your nose is vibrating. Your blood is vibrating. That fan is vibrating. This board is vibrating. Everything has this thing that's going on inside of it. It has, if you will, like this vibration, this frequency to it. Now, our human ear can only hear pretty much from 20 to about 20,000, depending upon hertz and kilohertz and all that jazz. But we have a range here that not, uh, we don't hear everything. You are not hearing everything that's going on right now. I'm reading a book now about dogs, which I love dogs. Um, <laughs> and in this book, it says that dogs hear, they hear every, so much more than we do. That's why when you blow that whistle, that dog whistle that goes, and you can't hear it, but they can, because their ear is open to hearing more frequencies at various levels. When you play piano or you sing, 
or anything, the amount of vibrations changes by how many times it vibrates. The low notes vibrate slowly. The high notes are really crazy. Okay, it's like they're on something. So fre frequency, we are all vibrating. Now, light is vibrating. It is a frequency. It has a frequency quality to it. Sound is vibrating. Okay. Uh, high frequencies, look, if I were to turn that up super duper loud and play that for a long time, that makes you go crazy. The higher the frequency, sometimes uh, there'll be a feedback on the, in the sound system and it goes, and you guys go, because the frequency is so high and so strong that it pushes on your eardrum past its normal ability. Now, let me say this first of all about God. He has ears, in a sense. He hears everything. And his hearing is not impaired by time. Hmm. Right now, I can sing this note. Ah! And the minute I stop singing, you stop hearing it because your ear stops vibrating. But God's ear is not like yours. His is holy, different, other. So that when I sang that note just then, it's st he's still hearing it in heaven. So when we pray and when we worship and we as musicians move in that area, God hears it forever. It's hanging up there, if you will, like a big cloud, this huge amount of sound just around him. That's why when you look in the book of Revelation, it says there's this sound because everything you've ever prayed Every note, every gift of God in your filled palm to him, blessing, is still hanging there. And the fact that, that, what that helps me to know is that, you know, it says pray without ceasing. That scares me. How the heck am I going to do that? I got to cook breakfast for my granddaughter. Well, the, the deal of it is I just keep shooting that up there whenever I can. And it stays up there. It doesn't go away. You don't lose it when you're done saying it. Now, for me, that's very comforting. Very comforting. All right. So then it says, low frequencies will affect our blood pressure too. This will slow you down. You know that car in the mall? It's got the black kid in it going, and his whole car is shaking. And it bothers old people because old people lose the ends of their, their hearing range. Old people like me, I don't hear low or high so much anymore. I can only hear in the middle. That's why they, they say, eh, what'd you say, eh, because they've lost all this. You'll hear me say that. Would you say that again? It's because my hearing goes, it goes away as we get older. All right. Next thing, a piano is a 440, not a 32 or whatever it is, okay? Okay? The lowest note on the piano right here, that's 27.5 hertz, 27.5. So we can hear a little lower than that, but not much lower. We can hear this. But if it were another couple, three octaves down here, we couldn't hear it. So the Bible says God is, and let me give you a word here, God is, I think I'm doing a little different than last year. Feels like it. Can I erase this? Okay. So we're on Psalm 144, and the word that we're looking at is what? What is the word we're looking at? Zamar. Okay. So I'm going to put it up here again. I will sing. I will zamar. 
I will sing on my instrument. Sing on instrument. When I sing on my instrument, I'm vibrating air. And the word zamar is closely related to what God is. God is, the Hebrew word is kol, Q-U-O-L, kol. God is kol. How do I know that? Because it says God spoke. He made a sound. He could not make a sound if he weren't sound. He made a sound, and when he made that sound... It says, let there be, and it was. So God is sound. God is sound. What else is God? Well, he is also love. God is love. God is light. God is the way, the truth. There's a whole bunch of descriptions about his nature, which is why we're going to give him a compliment. Because there's so much to compliment him about. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to say, Yaha, you are terrific, that I can hear the middle range still and that I can watch crazy Sonny do the dance, okay? So interesting there, it says in Genesis 3.8, Genesis 3.8, it says the people in the garden, this is in Eden, the people in the garden heard the quoll of the Lord. They heard the quoll of the Lord. In other words, they heard the, and it is more than sound here. They heard the song. God began in Eden singing. Wow. God began singing to his people. That's an amazing truth. So when he said, hey, Adam, what you doing today in the cool of the day? What you doing today? It was, it was a way to communicate through frequency, and they had the capacity to hear that sound, that song. When they did that, God communicates everything through sound and light. I think I told you a couple days ago, they were at the mountain, and suddenly, the first Pentecost, remember this little story? Please say yes, even if you're lying, okay. Moses goes up, and, he, and he's got a beard, and he's coming down here, and he's looking a little, little tired. He's coming down, and as each of the commandments comes down, it says there was a sound, and there was a tongue of flame. It was light. So it was sound and light that landed on all these folks. And God repeated that when he gave the Holy Spirit to the born-again Messianic Jews. So God is, he sang to them once at Pentecost, and then he sang to them again in Acts, 50 days after Passover. Okay, there we go. Voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but the Hebrew, if you look back in the lexicon and look at the pictographs, it means the voice, which is easier for us to understand. So Strong's gives you the kind of the vanilla, 
It's okay. I'm looking underneath to find if there's any, you know, Marciano cherries in there. <laughs> and so, quoll absolutely is the voice. It's easier for us conceptually to say, oh, I heard the voice of the Lord because that's, that's, uh, that's who we are. We have a voice. But it really is the sound. And when it says God created the heavens, he spoke them. It was his sound that created them, his voice was the voice of the Lord that brooded, et cetera, et cetera, the spirit of the Lord. Yes, you're exactly right. Okay. So now we have a situation where <clears throat> God is not only sound, but he is also false. This is a Greek word which means light. God is light. Okay, I'm going to use this scripture, 1 John 1, 15. Nobody ever takes that stuff down. I know. Y'all write it down. Never look at it. 1 John 1, 15. I do the same thing. I write all that down. Never look at it again. It's the way it is. Okay. Light, in the Greek here, it's a, better, it's a better translation for us to understand it. Light here means the sight. Ooh. Light is the sight. Wow. And the sound of Holiness. Wow. Light is the sight and the sound of holiness. Now, we've learned in two or three days here with Old Hair that holiness means that other creature, that Tam creature. You and I are mott. We are dysfunctional. This is the so sound. God is the sight, light, and the sound of functional. He's functional. Holiness. He's other. Does that make sense? Great. All right, so here we are. <clears throat> so the intention is that God speaks through both sound and through light. But they're connected. He also speaks through love. In 1 John, again, I don't know the verse, but it says, If you will walk in Ahava, watch this. If you will walk in Ahava in 1 John, you will walk in light or phos. Oh, wow. When I walk in God's love, when I'm actualizing it, when halakha of Ahava is in my life, I'm just giving myself away to people and to God. I am walking in the sight and the sound of holiness. Wow. Yes, Okay. First John 1 7. Oh, no, this is for. Oh, this is wrong, you mean? Okay, sorry. Thank you. I'm terrible with the dresses. 5 10. Something. What do I put up here? It's 5. Okay, 1 5. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me fix that in my notes because I have 15. Oh, no, I have 1 5. Duh. Okay. So. It says here that, let, let me go over that again because it's a big moment, okay? When we talk about when I walk in Ahava, what's Ahava? Love, okay, yeah, but what kind of love? Yeah, when I'm just going to care for the house whether or not the house cares for me. When I walk in that, I am walking in fos or I am walking in the sight and the sound of holiness. That's an amazing statement. All right? So let's move on from there. 
the sun right now, if we could see it, I can't see it, but if you could see it, it's singing. You can get online and go to some of these science uh, places, and you can get a video of the sound, the, the sun is singing. She, she or he, or it, is emitting a pitch. The sun is singing. Amazing. Sing what the sun is singing. Come on, get down there and get it. Now, I don't know that that's the pitch it's singing, but it is singing something like that. When you get it on the website, you'll see that. Okay, He's singing. So are the stars at night. When you look out, they are singing. But they're singing at very high frequency, so you can't hear them. They're singing up here. Listen. You can't hear them because your ear is not capable of hearing that light. But if I start here and sing, sing this note and then this note, an octave and an octave, 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 and, and I go clear out there over to the, uh, the place where you had the uh, chapel, I go, and I build this keyboard that goes that much further, you're not going to be able to hear this note up here. You can't hear it now. Actually, but you'd be able to see that note. It would turn into light. Sick. Sick. You'd go. And it, you would see it. You wouldn't hear it. Now let's, let's apply that to you as musicians. So that when I am a zamaring, as I'm trying to come up with a compliment to God. Yes, baby. I don't know why they flicker, but I know that they're singing. I don't know. Maybe they flicker because of that. I don't think so. I think it's just your eye can only see. Maybe they're pulsating. Yeah. She's pulse. She knows. This is good. Okay. So what, I, what I'm trying to bring to you, though, is that when you're playing, whether you realize it or not, you're creating light. that light can be unto God's purposes or not unto God's purposes. The Bible says that Lucifer was an angel of light. His body was filled with sound that also created light. So when he walked, it was like pew. It says there were instruments built inside of him. And so he is an angel of light, but it is not unto God's purposes. That's the power of music. That's why people say, oh, I'm moved by it, is because your blood literally comes into agreement with songs, and it changes your, your whole physiology. That's why that man with the hypothalamus thing or whatever, hypocampus, camel, hippocampus, hippocampus Heimel, yeah, Heimlich, whatever, okay. <laughs> That's why that guy, because it comes into that light is in him and it kind of gets the switch, gets flipped back on. Because I can give this, he was singing all that cool stuff about, mm, ain't no, oh, okay, let me just, I'll do one better than that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's happening is I can sing songs that are not unto God's purposes. Historians and scholars tell us that the very first song ever written after the fall of man, this is after Adam messed things up, the very first song was called The Lament of Abel. Who was Abel? I spelled it wrong. He was who? He was Adam's son. What happened to him? You don't know what happened to him? Cain said, I don't like him. I'm mad at him. Let's have competition. I want to win with God. So he, he smote him. Not in the hindquarters, even in the head. He killed him. Boom. So the very first song ever remembered or written historically is called the Lament of Abel. So this song is not unto God's purposes. It was all about murder. So when I write a song and when I sing a song, I have to be, uh, I have to be aware that what I'm saying is light. So I cannot sing, well, I can sing it, but it doesn't fulfill God's purposes. Songs that are not true and agree with the words in the Bible. That's why you have to know the Bible. There's an old song. There's a new name written down in glory. There's a new name. Well, that's a lie. There isn't a new name written down in glory. That person had never read his Bible. The truth of it is, your name is already in the book of life, but God may blot it out if you don't follow him. Okay. So that's the truth that needs to be sung. Doesn't mean that when you get saved, God writes down your name. No, your name's already in the book of life. He would that you would all be saved. But if you choose not to follow him, he has to blot you out. Well, that's pretty interesting stuff. So I have to, as a musician, I have to be sure that my songs represent truth about God. They cannot just be my opinion. They have to be God's opinion of himself. So that's the reason I keep slamming you guys. And I know she's going to say it again. Yes, I am. I'm going to say, you need to begin a, yourself, whether you go to Bible school or not, you need to begin some kind of a systematic reading through, scraping through this, this, the uh, uh, scriptures. This is not the way to study the Bible. Look, this is not it. This is not it. This is not it. Jesus, lead me today. That's not it. That's magic. That's divination. Don't do that. Say, God, I haven't got a clue what I'm going to read, but I'm going to ask you. As Rick said, we do this at the, at the base. We say, hmm, here I am. The Hebrew Greek study Bible, what does that mean to you, Lord? We sing it, and then we ask it, because the singing begins to come into agreement. The word agreement when I agree with God, it's a beautiful word. The word agreement in, in, the, in the language is symphoneo. Symphoneo. Well, that sounds like music to me. Symphony. That's why M, not siphoneo. Symphoneo. 
And it means to come into agreement with God. That doesn't just mean pitch-wise. It means life-wise. So that I, I started Genesis 1 and I got, just make, it your, just make it your goal to read through Genesis and sing through it this year. That's all. It's one little stinky old book. It's okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wonder what your name was there, God. And you go look that up, God. What does that mean? God, actually in this particular case, it means Elohim, which means great authority. Oh, created. Created means, oh, I even have it written in my Bible. What does it mean? Because I looked it up when I was singing it. It's bara. You created something. Oh, how cool is that, God? Mm, the, uh, what did you create? The created means to fill with a family. Wow. To fill the family with the family. You created, the whole purpose of your creation was people. Look at that. Wow, thank you, God. I'm going to give you a compliment about that. I'm in your family. And my voice doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be some spectacular music. But I begin to agree with God and make this symphony. This is a symphony right here because it's truth. And it's word and it needs to be spoken. It needs to be vibrated inside of you. You should read it aloud and then sing it aloud. That's the power of singing, praying, reading, da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? I'm erasing a little bit of this. Okay? So when we get to this place of understanding that when I play on my guitar, when I um, play on the keys, when I, when I sing, Zamar is about instruments, so I can't say sing. We'll talk about singing in a minute. So that when I am just jamming, my baby done left me. He left me alone. That is not unto God's purposes. My baby done left me. It's all about how sad I am. He left me alone. Fun. He gave me nothing. He left me nothing. He just left me alone. That is not unto God's purposes. But I can use those same chords and sing a compliment. My God, he is able to do anything. I will follow him. My God, he is able to help an old woman learn how to sing. Okay? So what we end up with then is we end up agreeing in our music with God, making a symphony, if you will. So I want you to, uh, let's see what I want you to do next, okay? Sound can create or destroy. Laser surgery. Laser surgery. Anybody in here a nurse? Medical training? Okay. Anybody in here ever had a baby yet? No? Good. All right. You had a baby? Okay. You had two babies. She says, yes, yes, okay, two babies. When you were, I don't know if, uh, I don't know when you had them, but did they have a thing called... A few years ago. Did they, bless your heart, I love you. Um, did they have ultrasound? Yes. yes. What is ultrasound? When you went for your ultrasound, what happened? Yeah, you can see from the sound what the baby looks like. It's a boy or a girl baby. It's 12 babies, oh Lord. <laughs> You can see from the sound. 
So our job as musicians is to help the bride see the king and let them dance together, like I said the other day. So our job is not just to play the latest lick, although I love the latest lick. But my motive on my instrument is to sing or to agree on my instrument. Now I do a little, um, I do a little, uh, what you call it, uh, a little exercise here. And I'll do it in just a minute, okay? But first I want to talk to you about different instruments. Different instruments have different prophetic vibration. Is a flute, who knows this keyboard really, really well? Anybody? Come here. Okay, can you find me a flute sound? Because I don't have my glasses on and I don't have this keyboard and la, la, la. Take me forever. Okay, so while he's looking for that, you, can, you think you can find that for me, JJ? He knows. He knows exactly. Okay, while he's looking for that, and he'll be tinking around. It's okay. We're going to talk about what's the difference when I have a flute sound versus uh, another kind of sound. Well, a flute sound, the word flute, he's looking. Flute, the word Hebrew word flute. Look at me. Are you looking? You're not. You're listening to him. Flute, actually, let me look at my glasses on now. Flute means the singing pierced, pierced one. The singing pierced one. Does anybody here know what a flute looks like? Long cylinder, holes, la, la, la. You finding it yet? It's coming. All right. The singing pierced one, well, to me, now that I know that Jesus has come, even in this word flute, Jesus, or Jesus, God, that, yeah, that'll work. God is using that sound to prophesy, if you will, that there will be a pierced one and that he will be singing. So when I am in a group of musicians and you have a flute player, it's as though the singing pierced one is like, it's like a shepherd would use this instrument a lot. He would use a flute to draw his sheep closer. So he would say, and the sheep learn to recognize that vibration that's why it says Jesus says my sheep know my vibration they know my voice how do you learn his voice you look at the light of the word and it helps you to recognize his voice. It's a very soothing thing. If you have a group, or if you're great on the keyboard, if a keyboardist that really knows their keyboard well, and you sense that during that time, that time, let's just say what I call uh, uh, kind of treading water, we're kind of following where God is, you do not have to always just keep doing this. Arankatanka, 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 arankatanka. Let's stop arankatank sometimes. Arankatank's good because guitars have a prophetic meaning too. But that is not the only vibration that God speaks through. 
He speaks through so many different sounds. That's why we have all those instruments. Now, it's not very popular now to have a flute on your team. Everybody wants electric guitar. I love flute. It's not very popular to have a violin or a cello. I mean, the young people go, oh, God, can we get a cello player? I love the cello players. Where is she? She's not here. Okay. So I love the cello players, but not everybody's going, oh, great, let's put her in the band because we don't see that on the platform. The problem that's happened in our, in our country and in our Western music is that we have narrowed the sounds down that God can speak to us through. We've narrowed it down to drums, which is good, guitars, or strings, th those kind of strings. They don't, we don't like those kind of strings, but we like their uh, and, and keys. So those are basically, and maybe an occasional trumpet, but not so much anymore. There were, in the 80s, when before you were alive, it was a big orchestral movement, and people could prophesy on their instruments in so great of a way, and you, knew, you could feel the difference in the room by the vibration of the instrument because they were singing on their instrument with that particular vibration that m elicited, if you will, a visual One of the things we tell our musicians at FMA, we say, close your eyes. Even Britain's this back to keys now. Close your eyes. Thank you. And uh, I want you to picture the most restful place you can think of. Do that. What's the most rest? Might be the beach. Might be your own bed. I don't know. Might be snuggling next to your husband. I don't know. The most restful place. And now... What I ask them to do is I want you to play a melody, not chords, that would show that, that would sound that, the most restful to make a sound on my instrument. Some of you went night-night. I wanted to make a sound on my instrument that would help you identify with that gentle place, that place of comfort. If, I, if I'm trying to elicit, not elicit, but I'm, I'm trying to follow the Lord and he wants to comfort his people and I just keep playing... vibration matches what God is trying to do in the room or in your own quiet time. So with that in mind, can you find a trumpet sound? Excuse me. Trumpet sound. 
Okay, the idea of trumpet. A trumpet is not a shofar. A shofar is not a trumpet. Let's say that together. A shofar is not a trumpet. In, uh, it says in uh, the New Testament, it says, at the sound of the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. You ever heard that before? The sound of the last trump? The sound of the last trumpet. Well, we think that's it. Uh, we think of trumpet as a, uh, that instrument you have like, you know, Phil Kagey, or not Phil Kagey, Phil, uh, whatever, some trumpet player. Uh, a trumpet player, but that's not what it means. In that scripture, it actually says, at the sound of the last shofar. Now, the shofar was an instrument not for music. It was meant to signal. Who in here plays the trumpet? Anybody? Great. Do you have a mouthpiece with you? No. Can you buzz? In a, could you just buzz? Good. Come up here. You're in. Okay. All right. All right. This is the to make a trumpet sound. Go ahead and buzz once. Yeah, okay. That's it. What's actually happening is her lips are vibrating, whereas in the flute the air is vibrating. Her lips are vibrating to cause the pitches. Okay. So she's going. See if you can find a pitch like I just did. All right. Everybody sing that note with a buzz. Come on, be a trumpet. Good. 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 Now. The shofar is a, is a hunk of a ram's horn. Thank you, you're done. Uh, it's a piece of a ram's horn. You know what a big sheep looks like, right? They got two horns, and one goes this way, and one goes that way. Very clever. So over this way and over this way. The shofar, the shofar was a, a, a direct result of when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And he says, you know, he's ready to kill his own kid. He's got his knife raised up. He's ready to just stab him and kill him. But instead, the Lord says, no, I have something else for you to kill. You don't have to kill your own son. You've proved to me that nothing. You, don't, you will not, uh, not hold anything in your hand that you won't give to me. That's great. So it says that he ends up, yes, he ends up, where am I? Okay, he ends up finding this ram in the bush. So he grabs the ram, kills it, and then removes the horn, one of the horns. And the horn is shaped so that it kind of twists, and, and it looks a little bit like a corkscrew, humongous. The older the bull, or the older, yeah, the older the bull, the longer the horn is. So you can buy them online, little bitty ones or medium ones, and they're expensive. But it's really a ram's horn. So what would happen with this would be that that ram's horn became kind of like their, their um, texting Thing. They would text. I'll have to put it in your so you understand. Their texting way in that, like, if they were gonna, if you wanted the 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 group of Israel, they didn't have cell phones. So you got you know half a million people. You got to get them moving together. Now we have trouble getting fifteen or twenty in this room all at the same time. So you got this mob of people, huge amount of people, and they have to be signaled in some way. And so if they had to, they were moving and kind of slowing down there, going into the wheel or walking around. So suddenly somebody would pick up the shofar, a good shofar player, and play a low note and then a high note. A low note and then a high note. A low note. Okay, let's, let's cover that. Uh 
let's all do a low note. <laughs> High note. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You're a shofar player. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means keep moving. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep press on. Press on. Don't quit. But then there might be a time when there's danger. Danger. So when I do danger on the shofar, like in other words, look out around the corner of this mountain, there's a bunch of people waiting to kill you. They would play low, high, low, high, low, high, a bunch of times. Like low, high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low, high. Let's try. <laughs> do we have a video of this? Now I want you to think about what that sounds like. What does that sound like in our world? It sounds like an emergency vehicle. Yes, that's exactly where it came from. Get the police. Get the EMT. Alarm. Does that make sense? But a trumpet, that was the shofar. So here's the shofar. It was not used for instruments but it was used to signal. So if you use a shofar in your worship time, use it in that way. It's, to, it's meant to signal you into a new, uh, like something scary, look out. But the trumpet, the actual musical instrument, the trumpet, where is it? Means, the shofar is a signaling instrument, signals. But the trumpet is actually used to be played melodically. And when it gets played in agreement with what God is doing at the moment, this trumpet, this word means the sound. A trumpet is one that creates the sound of shattering. It has a very militant uh, thing about it. It means that if you get a trumpet player to come here to YWAM, and you don't use him, you're missing a part of the prophetic sounds that God can use in a service or in a song. So is this the trumpet now? as you're the keyboard, she says, there's the authority of God. Instead of just staying with the piano sound, since you have it all here, flip for a minute and give this call, this call that says your king's here. Your king, the one that can take care of it all. Does that make sense? Come and give me a piano when you're ready. Okay. So the sound of shattering. Okay. Ah, oh, yes. The next one. The next one is the harp. Oh, no, well, nobody loves the harp. It's a stringed instrument. Where's my marker? There it is. Thank you. Do you have it here? No. Oh. 
Well, see there, you didn't listen to God. <laughs> Harp. That actually means stringed instruments, any sort of a stringed instrument. So the cello, the violin, the guitar. The electric guitar, it's still a guitar, it's just got lots of amps behind it. Violin, guitar, any sort of stringed instruments. Now, the history behind stringed instruments is this. It means to vibrate, obviously, to vibrate, but only played by kings, only played by royalty. Only royalty could play the strings. You could be a little peasant and you could play the flute on your own, but to learn to play a stringed instrument, harp, guitar, well, in this case, guitar, or any of that, it had to be royalty. So when that sound, when that electric guitar sound, and what, what I'm, I, I'm almost scared to say, but I'll say it, um, is that sometimes we hear that electric guitar sound, and we don't think of it in that way. We think of it as very jazzy, very kind of uh, Van Halen sounding. Uh, so what I'm asking you to do is that when you, as an instrumentalist, play an electric guitar solo, anybody here play guitar? You do, okay. Yeah, so when you play that, I want your mind, I want your mind to be focused on something godly, not on the coolest licks you can come up with. Do you understand that? Because it's been so twisted now into the world so that that sound <coughs> means it's sexual. <coughs> you know, and it feels like, and we don't, want, we don't want to elicit that. But when I do it, when I go, and I, does our band there is here? When I do that, it has to be because I'm thinking of the, the bending of the willows in God's place. In other words, so that my, my, I picture something and then I sing it or play it. You understand? Because otherwise I get this rock and roll kind of vibe, if you will. That's why people talk about the vibes. Yeah, I get this vibe from you. It's because you're vibrating. Uh, that's not just a phrase. That's reality. All right, and then the last one. It's the drums. Okay, the word drum means that's that which brings life. That which brings life. So we're all going to experiment here. Just a second. I want you to grab a pen or pencil and find a space on your table to hit or use your shoe or find a different sound because we're going to all be using percussion here in just a second. You can, there's a djembe up here and there's, I don't know, you can get some of these sticks, just put them back, right? Yeah. yeah. You can come over and get some of this stuff. There was a tambourine somebody had yesterday. Is that? Anything. Now, don't do it yet. Easy, easy, Grace. Easy. All right. Okay. She's so excited about this. Now. The reason, yeah, there's another sound. Here's, here's the djembe. Who, who can play djembe? Right, let's, let me have some uh, 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 certain people. Let me have you, JJ, and who else could, who could play djembe? Steve. Steve, come on, Steve, come on. Get that other, bat, that sound box, and bring, just bring me a line of drum instruments, right? Easy, 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 guys, easy, okay. Okay, who, somebody play that, that's good. You can use the, you want to use the drum and then the sticks, you can. Okay, let's put it right here. Yeah, that's good. All right. 
Now what we're going to do is we're going to see how that if I do not have drums, it does not have as much life in the, in the song. So do you have some place to sit or are you just going to stand or what? You're going to make it gentle. What's Joe doing? Where's your thing? Not the thing. No, I want the thing. What is the thing? Oh, the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So what we want to do here is I want to show you. This is, and let me just explain this. Somebody, are you sitting on that? Good. I want to explain to you what happens. Like when I go to a, a Korean church, they don't have to have drums to be happy. I go to an African country and I play like this they run me out of town because Africans have tapped into something about life oh, yeah. they've tapped into it really so that when I would begin doing this you know I told you this the other day they go let me help this poor woman because they that life has to come out of them. Yeah, it's true, okay? So what I want to do is, we're going to create a zamar now, okay? We're going to create a zamar, and in this zamar, we're going to play on our instruments, and we're going to play the sound of, uh, let me think of a scripture. The Lord is my strength. Don't sing. Not just yet. It's okay. No, I don't mean don't sing. I just mean wait, okay? We're going to use this scripture. This little hunk. Listen. Don't play. I, you give a drummer sticks and they're immediately beating on their leg. Okay? Are you going to play guitar? Okay. He's in there going, I can't hold it in. No. Um, <clears throat> so what we're going to do is we're going to come up with the rhythm for that phrase. Are you listening to me? Okay. We're going to come up with a rhythm for that phrase. So I want you to think, what would be a rhythm? How would I say the Lord is my strength? How would I say it in rhythm, not the Lord is my strength, but how could I create it so it feels like it has a rhythm? Somebody say it. Stop. Don't sing it. Just say it. The Lord is my strength. Say it again. The Lord is my strength. Say it with me. The Lord is my strength. Nothing yet. Is my strength. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Again. The Lord is my strength. Now let's find a pitch. Lord is my strength. I'll give it to you. Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Find a song. Pitches. The Lord is my strength. 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 The
is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Keep singing. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. Just the instruments. Ready, go. Play like it is strength. Strength. Just these instruments. Just that instrument. Just this one. To just this one. That's a Zamar. That's a Zamar. Okay. That is so cool. Is that exactly right? So when it says, I will sing on my instrument, any of those instruments could have been a part of this. I could have felt like we wanted to have the signals of the Lord uh, being and the sound of shattering, and I could have put the trumpet sound on there. I probably would not have put the flute on unless she was fluting high in. That's called playing prophetically. You didn't, you didn't think this ahead of time. You just let it happen. And what brought it the most life was the drums. Right? Right. Okay. Good. So I'm going to break. Uh, it's a little early, but I think it's okay. Is it okay? You're a good girl. It is okay. All right. So we're going to take a break. Is that helpful? Good. All right.
it's not a it's not a worship, but write your lyrics, let me think about it. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. You can ask us, you can ask more people in school. You can ask everyone. But you can just write it with your partner. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was sick. So yeah, this Tuesday, be ready. Prepare. That's all. three sweet uh so get yourself ready for next tuesday it's gonna be fun uh our last song sharing and um it's a, and and next week uh, uh beginning from sunday is gonna be my last sunday and everything that i'm doing the next week is my last stuff yeah i leave uh, next uh next saturday and I come back maybe next spring, no. something like that. We'll see. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Without uh, no further ado, let's give it a hand to Terry Terry. Thank you. Okay, we're going to review, and I have it just on the board. What does Zamar mean? What does it mean? To sing on your instrument. To come up with some kind of a creative expression of compliment. God says, I'll take that. Now, please notice, my little chickens, that everything that's been going on there, everything that's been going on there prior to this, yada, toda, halal, anybody can do that. If you happen to be a worshiper and a praiser who can do this, it's just that much greater. When you're, when you're uh, agreeing, I'm going to scooch this over just slightly. So I'm going to hit, break it or something. Thank you. Got it. Thanks, Lauren. Okay, so we said that God is sound. He is sound. The word is cool. What's the uh, word for light? Foss. I'm reviewing with this on the board. This is another technique, okay? Okay, I also said that in 1 John something, if I walk in ahava, I walk in what? Foss. I walk in light. That's right. Very good. Now, all these things that you're learning, they're yours. You teach them now. It's not meant for, it, listen, I have a saying about what you learn. If those bullets fit your gun, shoot it. So if you have a place that you can use this, do it. There's no uh, copyright on any of this, okay? We talked then about the, the concept of, we talked about the concept of different instruments, and we said that each of these instruments meant something. I'm going to erase it now, and I'll come back to that in a minute. <clears throat> All right. So then we created a Zamar, which was so fun. So fun. It was fun for you because young people, you love life. When you're young, you love life. You have to love it. When you get older, you love it, but you go, it's going away. <laughs> you can feel it changing under your feet. Yes, yes. I can. At 68, I go, my gosh, I'm pretty old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Um, so Zephaniah 317, it says, 
know what you're going to say. <laughs> Go ahead. You do? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm translating to say she dances over us, so I'm saying she's mm -hmm. over us. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a little bit. Uh, I have till noon. I have enough time to do this, I think. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit more about this idea of love because it says if you walk in love, you'll walk in light. So the first thing when we talk about love, we, I gave you one word last year, those of you that are here last year, and I gave each of you, actually this year, I gave you the stuff about ahava, which means to care. Thank you. Say it right there, boo-boo. Um, It means to take care of the house, to care, to do something for someone, whether or not they respond, reciprocate or not. You just do it for them. It's excellent, excellent word. However, it is not the entirety of all that, uh, let me find this, there it is. The essence of love is more than just ahava. There are more words that define God's love, okay? So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk just this first little section here about the essence of what's Torah. Someone tell me. To, to make the mark. To, to hit the mark. Yeah. What part of the Bible is that? First five books. Okay. Uh, and this was uh, this was the part of the Bible that who had to memorize that? Mm -mm. Who? The musicians, the guys that did all what you just did. They had to have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they had to do this. The essence of all Torah is to, to communicate God's nature. When we talk about the name of God, we're not talking about his name like John or Joe Schmo, talking about his nature. One of the th more interesting names that I looked up was when it says King, <laughs> King David. King David. <clears throat> the word David is always translated as beloved, which is true. But um, the deepest meaning of David means the one. Who in here is a David? The one who has large hair. No. <laughs> the one who. Can you imagine? No, that's not in the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> the one who lives out Ahava. So David means. You like that better? Mm -hmm. Okay. The one who lives out Ahava. And king was not just a title, like I could say Miss Terry or Dr. Terry or, you know, Dr. Seuss, anybody. Uh, king actually means it's a function. And in this case, the word king in the context of the Hebraic understanding means the one who carries authority or the one who rules. So when people would say King David's name, they'd say, oh, look, here comes King David. It wasn't just the title. It was they saw that when they said that, it was, here comes the one who loves and lives out Ava, and so he's the one that carries authority. 
Now we talk about authority over demons. I'm going to give you a few little idioms to get straight before we finish talking about this. Idioms are um, not idiots. Idioms. Idioms are things that we say in our own culture that really do not. We should not take them literally. Let me give you uh, an example. An example of an idiom would be. Find that page. Hold on. An idiom is sometimes people misunderstand the Bible because they read it through their own eyes and they interpret the idiom to be something that is literal. So I'm going to read to you uh, an excerpt from a little child that misunderstood some idioms when he read the Bible. Okay. This was written by about a five or six-year-old, and they were studying Christian Christianity. Okay. This is what he says. In the beginning, which occurred near the start, there was nothing but God, darkness and some gas. The Bible says, the Lord thy God is one, but I think he must be older than that. <laughs> anyway, God said, give me a light, and someone did, and God made the world. He split the Adam, and he made Eve. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating one bad apple, so they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Not sure what they were driven in, though, because they didn't have cars. Adam and Eve had a son, Cain, who hated his brother as long as he was able. Pretty soon, all the early people died off except for Methuselah, who lived to be a million. One of the next important people was Noah, who was a good guy, but one of his kids was a real ham. <laughs> After Noah came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph who wore a really loud sport coat. Another important guy in the Bible is Moses, whose real name was Charlton Heston. That movie, The Ten Commandments. <laughs> Moses led the Israels and their lights out of Egypt and away from the evil Pharaoh after God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh's people. These plagues included frogs, mice, lice, and bowels. Not boils, bowels. God fed the Israelites every day with manicotti. Then he gave them his top ten commandments. These include don't cheat, lie, smoke, dance, or cover your neighbor's wife. Oh, yeah, I thought of one more. Humor your father and mother. <laughs> After Moses came, David, he got to be a king by killing a giant with a slingshot. David had a son named Solomon who had about 300 wives and 500 porcupines. My teacher says he was wise, but he doesn't sound very wise to me. After Solomon, there were a bunch of major league prophets. One, one of them was Jonah, who was swallowed up by a big whale and then barfed up. During his oh, after the Old Testament came the New. Jesus is the star of the New. During his life, Jesus had many arguments with the Pharisees and the Democrats. Jesus also had 12 opossums. The worst one was named Judas Asparagus. 
Judas was so evil that they named a terrible vegetable after him. Yeah. <laughs> terrible vegetable. My point here is that we can mishear and then misrepresent some of the things that we think we understand. So I want to give you a few idioms th th today, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Go to the back of my book now. Here we go. <clears throat> and then we'll talk about understanding. And these are kind of fun and interesting. You might want to take it down. What is an idiom? Okay. When I say it's raining cats and dogs, does that mean it literally is raining cats and dogs? No. Actually, it came from that. It came from that because people used to keep their roofs. They did not have solid roofs. They would just throw straw and mud up there, and so animals would live up there. So when the rain came really, really hard, it would be raining cats and dogs. But it does not mean that in our culture. Okay, think of something that you would call an idiom. You think of one. He's pushing, up daisies. pushing up daisies. He's pushing up daisies. What does that mean? It's an idiom. What does it mean? Somebody died. He's dead. Name another one. It's from a movie. Think of another one. Come on. Yeah, you, you win, but no cigar. Uh-huh. Say it again. Oh, they're having a cow. Yes, yes, that's a good one. Yeah. Stuck between a rock and a hard place. What? Not none. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. What is it? Swimming with the fishes. Yeah. Don't beat around the bush. What does that mean? Beating a dead horse. Those are all idioms. That's the official word. Okay, so let me show you some of these words, some of these idioms. Okay, not very many, just a couple, three here today. Uh, let's start with this one. The woman with the issue of blood. Let's do Matthew 9, 20 through 21. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because I want you hungry to study the Bible. Because you are musicians, but you're not worshipers yet. Matthew 9, verses 20 to 21. Okay. I'm reading this story about this woman, and it's Matthew 9, 20, 21. I'll read it. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Now, that is a strange thing to do. That is a very strange thing. I, was, I thought of it when we were sitting out there because somebody came over. It was, I think it was somebody back here came over and touched my garment and said, oh, I want to touch your... Don't... Yeah, that's not... What you're, tr what you're understanding there is a misunderstanding of what was really occurring there in a Hebrew's mind. What was, hearing, what was happening there was the, at the bottom of the garment, everybody knows you have a hem. Like, girls, you know, on the bottom of your pants, you have a hem. Like, mine's turned up or a hem on your pants or a hem on your skirt. Mm-hmm. That's, it was not that. It was not that. It was this Hebrew word. And I'll put, I'm going to erase this. It was this Hebrew word. Tzitzi. It sounds funny, like you have a fly. I think I spelled it wrong. This is hem. Hebrew word for hem. So she touched... The hem, we read it as hem and we think of it from our own cultural, but the tzitzit was not the hem. It really was, uh, have you seen the Jews when they have their prayer shawls on? Have you seen that? And they're hanging out underneath their coat and everything. 
and those little dingly things down here at the end, that fringe, that's called the hem. Those little dingly uh, knotted pieces of kind of twine or whatever. Tassels, good, thank you, okay? Knotted tassels, okay? Now, the tassels were worn by Jews because in the Bible, in uh, Numbers and in Deuteronomy it, Deuteronomy, it tells them to do that. The point of them doing that was to remind them. This was a visual reminder that they belong to the Lord. In the same way that when you get married and you get a ring, it's a visual reminder that you've married that person. I can't get this. I'm swollen. But the point is that you get, you get a mark, if you will, or circumcision is a mark that is to remind you who you belong to. And so these tzitzits were ex another example of this. And they were called the borders of their garments. This was called the borders of the garments. We call it hem. Hem does not really communicate what's going on there because there's a deeper meaning there. This woman is coming along and she doesn't reach to touch any other part other than the borders of his garments. Now, in the Hebrew culture, those borders are called, watch this one, let me spell it right, K-A-N-A-P-H. And it means, borders of his garments means wings. The wings of his garments. So Jesus, being a good Jew, is wearing his prayer shawl. And he has this thing thrown over him. And in the place where you can see it, uh, the Jews believe this. This Jewish lady believed that, I'll write, read it to you, it's Malachi. It says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healings in the borders of his garments. With healing in the borders of his garments. So that's the reason she wanted to touch him. But beyond that, if you remember, she did touch his garments. But because she touched his garments, it wasn't just anybody's garments. That scripture in Malachi says the son of righteousness. In other words, she recognized that he was Messiah. And that's why he said, who touched me? Who gets it? Who gets it? And she was scared. Oh, she was really scared. Yes. Malachi 4.2. Uh, Malachi 4.2. So she gets it. So this idea that she touched the hem of his garment was not that she just picked any place. She was saying by touching that hem that you are the Messiah because there's healing in the border of your garment. It was a faith action. It was her declaration, her compliment to him. It was an act of praise. That she went to him believing that he could do that. That he alone was Messiah. That's why, uh, you know, we know that story about everybody says that Peter, he says to Peter, who do you say I am, Peter? Peter says, shh. You are not just anybody. You are the Messiah. Now, let me tell you this about Jews. They've had 86 people declared to be Messiahs in their history. 86. Jesus was not the only one that declared he was Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Messiah, 
Jesus about comes unglued. He says, oh, that didn't come to you from any book. You got that from my father. And he says, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Well, we all go, that's a nice lofty phrase, but it's like Judas Asparagus if we're not careful. The keys to the kingdom had everything to do with rabbinical authority. So rabbinical authority said, whoever is rabbi has the ability to determine and to interpret, if you will, um, the, the scriptures. Now, let me give you an example. For example, on Sabbath, the rule is this. You cannot work. You cannot, uh, um, you, can't put, you can't use your mule to work. You can't do anything that's creative because Sabbath is meant to be a place that is non-creative. Because six days of work, six days a week you create just like, the, just like God did. But the seventh day is meant to be a day of rejoicing that you don't have to create anything. That's the whole purpose of Sabbath. And so they're sitting there, and he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. He was giving him rabbinical authority, and that rabbinical authority could say this. Suppose I came to the rabbi, and I said, Rabbi, I know it's Sabbath, but my mother has just been in an accident. I need to drive my car because you couldn't take your animal. I need to take my donkey over and get her. Now, the rabbi could say, I'm going to loose you from the, uh, the law there, or the rabbinical understanding, or I'm going to bind you to it. So when we say bind and loose kind of casually, you're not understanding what Jesus was talking about. When I, when I loose someone from the law of Sabbath to go get my mom, who's been hurt, and take my donkey, then I have rabbinical authority to do that. But if, if I come to the rabbi and I say, Rabbi, I just really want to go for a ride today on my, on my uh, bike and I, on my donkey, and I want to go over to the store, and you know, I want to buy this, and I need this, this. and he'll say, no, I'm going to bind you. I'm not going to loose you to do that. I'm going to bind you to that commandment. So then it goes on to say, whatever you bind in heaven and whatever you loose in heaven. Because Jesus was saying that whatever you decide, Peter, I'm giving you the authority. I'll stand behind you. That's a whole different feeling than shouting at someone going, I bind. Yes, I believe that we can bind the enemy. But that is not how that scripture is meant to be interpreted. It's a figure of speech in Hebrew. Does that make sense? It's, isn't that shocking, sort of, and wonderful at the same time, and threatening in a way? Because you go, wow, I might have, maybe I need to study the Bible more and find these things out. Whoa. All right. <clears throat> Let's go on. Let's do another couple of these. <laughs> Right. Um, let's do. Oh yeah. So Paul says Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Have you ever heard that? Please say you have. <laughs> Ephesians. It's Ephesians uh, five twenty seven. 
Paul says, Christ is coming that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Go ahead and turn to that since some of you are unfamiliar with that. Ephesians 5.27. Now I read that. Can somebody read it from their scriptures that maybe has a different flavor? Ephesians 5.27, what somebody got? Come on. Okay, so Paul is talking about Christ coming back for his church, that's you and me, and that she should be without spot or wrinkle. Now, to me, that's the scariest scripture in the Bible. That scares the bejeepers out of me because that means that, you know, I can't make any mistakes. I have to be el perfecto, which is impossible. But what, what is being spoken here is the following. It's really not that. In Hebrew culture around that time, if a man was looking for a bride, which is, this is a reference to the script, he's looking for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Could I please borrow somebody's, uh, your shirt that you're taking on a shirt, but you're, just for a second, okay? Thanks, baby. So in Hebrew culture, women, just like we see the Muslims today, were draped. You know, they had a, they had way past their forehead. And so when a, a prospective groom was looking to marry, his father would come to a prospective bride's house and look at the prospective bride. And he would look and he would call her into the room and he would lift her veil and look at her forehead. If her forehead had spots... Now, those of you that are dark-skinned don't understand this, but if you work too long in any culture in the sun, you get little sunspots. I don't care how brown your skin is. You just get it. Even black people get sunburned. And in that culture, even in Korea today, they prized white skin, or not light, not unspotted skin, I guess. That's the way I would say it. They prized the, this perfect skin. If you go to Hong Kong right now and China and stuff, they're having a revolution, and they all carry umbrellas so that the women's faces do not get spotted. So he's looking for spots, and what that meant was that she had been out in the sun working too hard. So without spot, and then without wrinkle. So wrinkle means the same thing. He would still examine, thank you, he would examine her forehead, and if she had wrinkles. Wrinkles were always a sign of anxiety and not being able to trust so when Paul, I always thought it meant, you, boy, God's going to get the iron out and unwrinkle you, you know. But he's saying here, Paul is coming for a church, and because we read it through the wrong cultural eyes and don't understand the idiom of it, we say that he's coming after somebody that's absolutely perfect, without spot or wrinkle. Well, he's saying that he's coming for a bride who is not killing herself working and who is not worried about the future. That's a beautiful picture. I can, ma I can make that one. How do, I, how do I find all that stuff? Well, I begin to read my Bible, and then beyond reading it, I begin to dig into words, and I read books about the Bible. This is what causes worship is study. Go low and study. Worship is not musicianship. 
And study should not be a thing you tag along. This should be the biggest thing you do while you're practicing your instrument. You should sing and play the scriptures. Okay? So this was an important deal in the East. I'm going to go one more. Okay? Uh, maybe two. Are you liking these? Yeah. Okay. All right. There is a scripture. Somebody has to find it for me. I do not have the reference in my notes. It says, and when you go into another city, Jesus says, when you go into a city and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. Can somebody find that for me? Does anybody know what I'm referring to? Shake the dust off your feet. You sort of remember that one? Yeah, I know. Okay. It's all right. Did you, anybody find it? 1014, I'll put it on the board here. I'll even put it in my notes so I'll have it. Oh, man. Is that my tooth or the cap? Matthew 1014. Thank you. 1019, okay. Matthew. Oops, there. Gosh, Matthew 10, 14. Okay. You want to read that for me, baby? Wow, that sounds pretty, pretty pushy. You're going to be a missionary. You're going on an outreach, and they don't, uh, you know, they didn't receive you. Like they ran Paul out of town. Well, what you need to do is, now this is our interpretation in the West. We go, fine, t to heck with you. Or we just thumb our nose and say, fine, shake the dust, ah, kick the dust. Well, that is not what Jesus meant at all, not even close when a teacher would gather a group of students, like the rabbi would, like I'm doing with you, when I would, they would put all, they didn't have desks, and they'd all just sit around in the dirt, you know, as they're walking along as he's discipling. So they'd all sit around in dirt, and so they would sit in the dirt, and, and he would teach, and she made allusion to it earlier. And, and the teaching, that dust kind of ends up being, that teaching, while you're getting taught, that dust kind of gets all over you from the rabbi or in my case, it would be the rabbit. Um, uh, and so you get covered, if you will, in the dust of your teacher because you walk behind him, you sit with him, so he kicks up the dust and you're behind him and it gets all over your garments and everything. So when Jesus says, if you go someplace they don't receive you, don't tell them to go jump in a lake. Instead, it's a teaching idiom and it says, shake off the information that I gave you. Just give them whatever teachings you can. And then in Ahava, just move on. You cared for them. You cannot always expect people to change and make you feel good because they changed. That's why it says speak the truth. Speak Ahava in love. Speak the truth in love. And that means that I can say to you the truth but I cannot be mad if you don't do it. Because Jesus talks to us all the time. And we don't always listen. And he's not mad at us. So when you speak the truth, you're speaking it in the, in the context of you're saying, okay, I'm speaking the truth in love here. I'm going to tell you what I think about this situation. And that person can or cannot necessarily um, obey. So he's saying, when you go into a town, all that teaching you learned from me, which was, it was, he was saying that this dust was a picture of his teaching. When you go into a town, shake that off. Shake off the teachings that you can. And then move on to the next. 
It's not an angry thing. It's not a fine. You don't want to hear from me? Fine. That's very fallen. Jesus isn't like that. He says, I'll shake off what I can right now. And then we'll see. I'll let the Holy Spirit kind of work on you a while. And if not, I'll send other people to shake it off. Because that's the way it is. That's why I loved Clem the other night in the movie. The little documentary. Here, he's getting nothing back from that. Praise and sometimes nobody gets healed. And then in the carry, praise anyway. He loves people and is kind to them and they don't even know he's there. They're zoned out on glue. He doesn't care. That is walking in Ahava. That is walking in the light. That is walking in the revelation of who God is. That's powerful stuff. You do not have to go to a foreign country to do that. You can do that right here in the lunch line. Boy, it's quiet in here. Okay. All right, let's do another one about dust. Is that a bird or is that just someone's tummy? It's a bird. Oh, that kind of bird is someplace near my room, I think, in the mornings. Okay. We talked about to train up a child. You remember me telling that? What does it mean to train up a child? What does that Hebrew word mean? Do you remember? I'll help you. It means to touch their palate. Everybody touch your palate? Uh huh. So you give people a taste for God, you give them a taste for it. So he's training up a child to like the taste of God. So they had honey on their slates. You can take your hand out of your mouth now. We have another video of that. Um, and so this idea of training also included that when the children were in the school, sometimes they would take the children outside for class if it was hot or whatever, and they'd all sit in a circle. I saw the kids over here at the flags the other day. They were having a blast. And so they have the... The, you know, the teacher, the rabbi would sit down or the teacher would sit down with them and the little kids are all around them and they're nuts. Little kids are nuts. They're just, oh, I love them. They're crazy and I love them. Anyway, and they're sitting there and they're, and the rabbi would ask them a question about one of the scriptures they'd memorized and they were supposed to tell what they thought about it. And so he would say to them, now while you are, while you are thinking, I want you to draw in the dust. Because while you're drawing in the dust, you kind of open your mind, and the Lord will speak to you. So all the Jews knew this. All the Pharisees, this is how they were trained. So we come to that story where the woman is caught in adultery, and she's thrown at the feet of Jesus, and the, uh, the guys are saying, hey, we caught her in adultery. Hey. And Jesus doesn't answer it one iota. Instead, he squats down and he begins to draw in the dirt. Now, there have been five million preachings about what was he writing. He wasn't writing anything. He was doing what he'd been taught to do as a child. Draw in the dirt until he heard from the Lord. So when he stood up and he said, okay, I got the answer, guys. Whoever's without sin, you guys cast the first stone. And the, God, the Sadducees were so stunned because they realized that the answer had come from his communication with God. That's an amazing thing. 
So there wasn't, he was, it wasn't right in the alphabet or the sins of the other people. He didn't, it wasn't that. That's all spooky dooky stuff that we make up as Christians because we don't know how the Hebrews thought or, or believed. So he stands up and he says, okay, you guys want to stone her? Which one of you guys is without sin? You do it first. And they all dropped their thing. And then he said to the girl, he says, okay, you know what, sweetie? It's not over for you. It's not over for you. Try not to do it again. Don't sin anymore. It's never over. It's never over for us. All we got to do is repent, say, oh, shoot, I stole that spoon. And go on with your, go on with the, the journey with Jesus. Okay, last one. Now you're saying, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this as like salt in the water here, actually. Because these kinds of things are found not just in the Bible, but in para-Bible things. In other words, you should look up the cultures of Jesus. You should understand him in his culture. You understand your culture in Korea, but when you came here, it was different. Big time different. You had to learn the culture to learn the language. I'm looking back there at Santiago. He said it took him three years to learn the language. Yeah. You say, I can't go to another culture because I don't know the language. Yeah, that's right, because it's not just the language, but the language inculcates or includes the culture. And so for me to say that I don't need the Bible to be a worshiper, I'm being foolish. I'm not caring about people. It's not so much just for you. The point is you're supposed to fill up so you can give out. And you give out truth, not just your opinion. So I'm trying to salt the water here big time. All right, last one. All right. You guys okay? Yeah. All right, yeah, all right. Would you look at Matthew eleven twelve? Matthew eleven twelve. Matthew eleven twelve. Okay. Would somebody read it for me, please? Does that scripture already confuse anybody ever? Tell the truth. What does that mean to you? Have you ever read that scripture before? Okay, two of you have. The rest of you need catechism and Bible, okay? So when you read that, that's, this has always been one of the most fascinating scriptures. The kingdom of God suffers violence. The violent take it by force. What the ham does that mean? Now that's a good student that says, what the ham does that mean, God? He's not put off by that. So he says, I want, you know, like, let's look up culture. What does that mean? Let's look up in a commentary. What does that mean? Okay, here. Oh, look, Terry found it. She's going to give it to you. Yes. It does not mean the kingdom is being attacked by violent men. It does not mean that. It does not mean let's make war. I hate when we say, when we go to, we say we're going to war, and we, so we sing louder. Louder doesn't make war. You know what makes war in the kingdom? is how you behave it out. Your life and the, the fact that you want to give God, God compliment. Praise is war. Praise is war. So every time I give God a compliment, the enemy goes, oh, fiddly D. Those guys are singing the happy song. So it is not about making war like... Uh, Maybe you guys do this here, and that's fine. I just, I almost always cringe 
when, when we have to be loud to make war. Now, I understand shouting, but when we're just trying to, we call that making war, I don't think it is making war. I think it's just loud praise. Making war has to do with my, my, the kingdom of God has come into my life and I behave and sing and pray and give God compliments every day of my life for everything. I just went to the bathroom at the break and uh, Amanda said, did you thank God for urination? I said, yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because the Jews thank for everything. They are the blessers. They are the praisers. They're the ones that say, thank you, God, for my urethra. Thank you, God, that I, for toilet paper. Has anybody ever been on the field and there's no toilet paper? That is the pits. Thank you for toilets. The hole is the pits. <laughs> yeah, I hate squatty potties. I hate them. All right. Anyway. You have to understand what Jesus is saying here from his Hebraic eyes. It actually says, let me I'm erase this. It actually says the kingdom of God is breaking forth is what it says in the Hebrew. The kingdom of God is breaking forth. It doesn't suffering violence. It's breaking forth. Now let's talk about this. Jesus is referring in an idiomatic way, in a figure of speech, to quote Mia, in a, this, he's referring to something that all the Hebrews knew when they heard this. They didn't think the kingdom of God was suffering violence like, oh, they're beating us up. No. Instead, <clears throat> it's a connection to, and you'll have to turn to this, Micah. Breaking forth. Now, when Micah 2.13, you can find it or write it or whatever you want to do, okay? Now, before we read this, I want to show you what this is really about. In Micah 2.13, we talk about the breaker anointing. Have you ever heard that phrase in church? The breaker anointing? Yeah, okay. It's misused. There's no anointing for the breaker. We're talking about this concept, which we're about to read in Micah 2.13, Okay. So Micah 2.13 is really about shepherding. Look at me. Look at me, okay? When a shepherd in Hebraic times had a bunch of sheep, I'm going to use some of you, you three girls, and you three girls, come here. These are my sheep. No, my little sheep. My sheepies, okay? okay? Now I want you, come here, these are all, and they're, wand go ahead and wander, just wander around your sheep. Okay? Uh, this is good. This is good, okay? Wander back to me. I'm the shepherd. I'm calling you. Wander back, wander back, wander back. It's getting to be nighttime. I got to gather my sheepies. They're still... Get back. <laughs> I got, no, no, I'm... Okay, okay. And what I have to do with my little sheepies is I have to put them in an enclosed place. Yeah. I put them in a big clump like this. And usually the shepherd would try to put them in, the, in a cave or if there was no cave available, they'd build a little circle of, of sticker bushes around here to prevent any animal from getting to a sheet. Now they're still back, going back. So they're all there together. And the shepherd then is, cares for them so much that he, who's going to be my shepherd? You. He lays down at the front. 
He lays down right there at the beginning. Let's put your back against them on your side, okay? So you're really next to the sheep, okay? And they're noisy and pooping and all that, okay? Yeah. So here, okay, no, not all over him. Okay, so we got a shepherd here. And what happens is these, she- these sheep are okay until the, the break of dawn. The problem is that when the dawn breaks, now I have to be quiet a minute so they can hear me, okay? They, when the dawn breaks, they go, oh, I'm awake. And they've been clumped up there for about 12, 15 hours. I don't know how long the night was, okay? So they begin to wake up. And what happens is they begin to want to be released. There's no grass there. They're hungry. So the shepherd, and you ever heard the scripture says, Jesus, I'm the door to the sheepfold? That's what he's talking about right there. That's the protection right there. I'm the door. So he gets up. Sorry. He gets up, and he begins, and this is still briars and brambles, and he begins to kick a little hole in that, a little hole, and the sheep are so excited that they burst out. Be burst out. Oh, yay. Grass. Place to poop, okay? I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm in. I'm free. I'm free. Sit down. So what the scripture is referring to, it says the kingdom of God is breaking forth means that these, what's happening is that these sheep are getting set free. They're taking it by force. They are literally breaking open that, it's called the breaker, uh, it's a breaker understanding of the scripture. So when we read Micah 2, I'll read a, a quote from a commentary here. It says, the mental image created by Micah 2.13 portrays a sheep full, sheepfold full of sheep. When shepherds tend their sheep, they erect makeshift fences for a sheepfold. They gather stones and build a temporary pen. The shepherd might design a full circular enclosure or use a cave or the side of a rocky hillside. The gospel records Jesus' words, I am the door of the sheepfold. Literally, he lies at the entranceway of the holding pen, and after the sheep have been confined all night in the limited space, the animals are anxious to break out. In the morning, the shepherd will knock down a section from the piled-out stones. Anxious to be released from the holding pen, the sheep rush out as quickly as possible, knocking down more stones more stones that form the makeshift fence. Now, I want us to read um, uh, Micah 2.13. Have you got it up? I don't have it up. Micah 2.13. Th- did you turn to that, I'm hoping? Okay, let me find it here. Somebody can read it while I'm finding it. Micah 2.13, go. Somebody. Okay, stop. I want you to read that again. I want you all to hear that again. Say it louder and stronger. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord of their hosts. This prophecy right there in Micah is connected to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He's talking about, he's referencing back to, because he is the king. So he's making that reference. He says, I'm going to open this up, but they're going to push into it because they want freedom. So Jesus, as their Messiah, is opening the way. Does that make sense? Isn't that a wonderful understanding? Now, I'll tell you a story. My uh, school, they have the, uh, the Bible school, and every year all the classes have to make up a cheer. Like, you know, we're number. it's the competitive thing. I don't get it. 
So the, the freshmen have a cheer, the sophomores, the juniors, and the seniors. And so last year, the juniors' cheer was, the kingdom of violence, the kingdom of God suffers violence. Uh, make war. Uh, uh. <laughs> I said, who's teaching you guys Bible? So that was a, a bit of a, uh, it was a bit of a thing because they didn't want to let go of that. And so well, I don't see the connection. Okay, well, you don't. I shake off the dust and I move on. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I have a, I have a Ask it. Okay. Oh my gosh, I have to come up with an answer then. Okay, okay. so it's Luke 12. Yeah, read it to me. So what about that? Do you not understand? It's the Hebraic language is very poetic. It's so much different than English or most languages. The closest I would say would be, uh, I think Spanish is a little more poetic. So I'm saying I don't know that that's specifically a, a, uh, a an idiom, but I do believe that it is a word picture. And what does it say? What do what do you what do you struggle with about it? Oh, you get it. Okay. All right. Good. I had to write a paper on it. You had to write a paper on it. Oh, I'm a theologian, am I? Okay. <laughs> That's a scary word. I hope to heaven I'm not. Okay. Uh, all right. I guess I'm feeling like we should go a couple more of these and then we'll be done. Is that okay? Yeah. Rather than starting a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Let's talk about, <clears throat> let's do, uh, oh, let's do this one. Jesus in Revelation says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Yes? Have you heard that? Please say you have. Yeah. Okay, well, there we nailed one. Okay. <laughs> I'm the Alpha and Omega. Alpha, Omega. Beginning and the end. Now, the way that Hebraic literature is written, they often will say the same thing twice, beginning and end. So if I read this from my Western mind, I say, okay, alpha, omega, beginning and end. But the problem is that Jesus would never have said a Greek word. He would have said his Hebraic words. His Hebraic word here was aleph, A-L-E-P-H, aleph. And omega, he would have said is tav. Where's my eraser? There it is. So he would not have said... Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. In this particular case, he's talking about two different things that he is. He is the beginning and the end, and that translates exactly right. But when I translate Aleph into Alpha and Omega, the Greeks didn't understand that Jesus' alphabet did not work like their alphabet. Our alphabet says we have a, a symbol, and that symbol has a picture, and it also has a sound. So it's a picture and a sound. But their alphabet, Aleph, is a picture, a sound, and a function. So that the letters individually function. 
so that the letters individually mean more than just the sound of the word. Does that make sense? Ish? Okay. So up here it says he is the Aleph. Now that Aleph picture is, and I'm terrible at this, it's kind of close, it's supposed to look like a bull, a bull's head. And then Tav looks like this. And you say, oh, I see it, it's Christ, it's just a cross. Oh, yep, no. Because it's Hebrew, and there was no symbol, there was no Christian symbol of the cross. So Aleph is the head of a bull. Well, how does a bull function? What does a bull do? No one knows what a bull does. What'd you say? Protects. Okay, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. Protects. What else? What else do bulls do? Think. What'd you say? So they are fathers. Yep. Fathers. Mm -hmm. Producers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else? Fighters. So they're strong. They're that's kind of protect a fighter. Yeah. Sure. I'll take that. Uh, what else? Think Hebraically. Thank you. Uh, Took a while. Sacrifice. Okay. They also work. They do. They are hard workers. And they're really expensive. They're expensive. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that that's right in the pile, but not. <laughs> Pricey, though. That no, I think it might. You might be there. They are valuable. That's good. Yeah, you don't get one for a dollar twenty-nine. You know. Okay. So what? Um, <clears throat> We're going to go to this mark. This mark right here, Tav, actually means marked for something. Uh, sometimes on a treasure map they'll say there, X marks the spot. It comes from the Hebrew letter Tav. And so this means marked or separated for something. It's specifically marked. And so when Jesus says, I am the Aleph Tav, he is not just saying beginning and end. He is communicating his function. His function is, and I'll read it backwards, and that's all right. I am the protector, the progenitor, the fighter, the sacrificial worker, and I'm valuable, and I'm marked to do what I did. That's very, very, very interesting, isn't it? So he's not saying he's the first letter and the last letter in his first phrase. He does say, I am the beginning and the end. He's right. Oh, well, yeah, he's right. Hello. But he is saying two different things there. So when John says this in Revelation, he's not talking about Jesus saying, I am the, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's talking about that Jesus is describing his function here as well as the fact that he is beginning and end, first and last. These are amazing, amazing, amazing things to learn. You can learn these things there's a book called Hebrew Idioms. There's all kinds of writing. You can even look for Aramaic. Just look this up on your Google. It's so much better nowadays. When I was in college, I had to lug around 50 books. Aramaic Idioms. You will find extraordinary amounts of brilliant stuff that you go, oh, I see you more clearly, Jesus. I see you. My songs will reflect that. Oh, yeah. Google that. You can also Google Hebra uh, Hebraic pictographs. 
And it'll teach you all about those things that you get. You can also, there's a book by, uh, let's see, is that book in there somewhere? That's a good book for culture, yeah. There's a book called Our Father Abraham. I recommended it last year, but I'm thinking of another one now. Um, Our Father Abraham, it's easy to read, and it's so informative. Our Father Abraham by, what's the guy's name? Marvin Wilson. I'll, I'll think of this other thing and just say it. I, I can see it in my head, but I can't read the, what's on the, in my brain. Okay. So let's do the last one, and then we'll be done. We'll end a little early. Are you mad about that? Yeah. You'll live. Okay, because <laughs> okay, I'm going to help Lauren today a little bit, and I want to give her a little bit of time. Okay. You may ask anything you like, except my weight. What do you think that means? Branded. It's the same concept as the, the called out, the ecclesia. It means that there is a, there, God, when you receive Christ, people say, do, I don't want to get the mark of the beast. You don't have to worry. You already get the mark of God. I'm not scared of the mark of the beast. I have a mark already. I'm getting a new name. So marked means that I'm called out, separated, isolated for him. That's what it means. Okay, that's really cool. Yes, ma'am. A lot of, I'm racing, sorry. A lot of cultures, because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, have a concept that somehow or other their culture is superior to another's. And so they enslave them. Now that is not something that we do. Well, we don't do it physically. We do it maybe mentally to people. But in, in the earliest formation of the Israeli uh, Israeli people, like you're talking about in Deuteronomy and all that kind of just is talking about what you do. There is a, the whole culture had slaves. It was not just them. This was something that was in the earth in general. So God is tempering it by saying, okay, let them go though after a certain amount of time. So in other words, God you remember I started to tell you this yesterday, this thing called progressive revelation? Progressive revelation, God has to deal with kind of the mindset of the people. The people in Deuteronomy's time couldn't deal with much uh, more than what they could deal with. In other words, what Deuteronomy reveals is elaborated on in the rest of the Bible and in the rest of the Bible. And that's why I don't like to call it the Old Testament, but I like to call it the First Testament. And this is the Next Testament. The reason is because this is this progressive revelation. And what we see here later, if we follow this progressive revelation through even the thought of a slave, that would be a topical study for you to do. You would see that as we get here, Jesus is not for that at all. And then he also is also to the place where Paul says, when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter if somebody tries to put you down and make you a slave. In other words, it's not a physical 
putting down that God makes us equal. So my, my response to that would be is that the idea of slavery is wrapped up, and it's so funny because Israel was enslaved, and yet they hadn't learned from that. They hadn't been fully formed. They were still chaotic, if you will. They were still mott, dysfunctional. And so this dysfunctionality just continued all the way through until we finally get this man that can actually live out everything the Torah says, his name being Jesus. And Jesus then says, okay, if you'll take my yoke upon you and learn of me, you can begin to act like this because I'm going to give you that helper. The Holy Spirit's going to help you to understand all that was written ahead of time. It's about the best I can do. Anything else? All right, let's go one more uh, idiom and then we're going to go to lunch and I'm going to work with little Miss Laura. Last one. Okay, <clears throat> let's turn to Revelation 5 something. Let me find it. Revelation. It's the one we use so much. Revelation. Revelation. Come on, Terry, get it. It's the last book of the Bible. Go to uh, John 1, 2, 3. Go to Jude and turn right. Okay. Five is what I'm looking for. Okay. I think it's five. Four is five. Hang on. This is where I get in trouble. Ah, there it is. Five, uh, eight. Now this is five, eight. This is going on in heaven, okay? This is a major scripture for us at IHOP. I should know its address, and I just don't. Verse 8 says, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And we'll talk about that tomorrow, what a new song is. Worthy are thou to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain and didst purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Let's go back there. Let's look at that scripture. Kind of open it up a titch. Okay. <clears throat> in this picture in heaven, we look and it says that he took the book. Now, who is worthy? It says kind of halfway through that scripture. Who's worthy to take the book? Now, you and I go, well, we figured it out Jesus is worthy because of the blood. But John was speaking in Revelation. He was speaking to Jews. They wouldn't have understand. They wouldn't have understood kind of the, the concepts that we plug into that. So this is what it was. This was an agrarian culture. Agrarian. What does that mean? Agrarian. That means it's a culture of farmers. Mostly people that raise their own food. They don't go down here to the Target to get, you know, meat or whatever. It's agrarian culture. So they understand the great, the great uh, price, the pricelessness, pricelessness of land. Land is everything. If you have a piece of land, you can live. It doesn't matter to us so much in this culture. We can live on the, on a, in a piece of land, but we don't have to draw our 
sustenance from it. We have this piece of land because it's where we live. But to them, to the Jews, the land was priceless. And it, was belong it belonged to families for generations. Boom, boom. I have my money. You're my kid. Me is my kid, so I give her my house. She gives it to her kids. Her kids give it to their kids. It's this land goes on and on and on and on. And that was the culture. But sometimes there was a hard, there were hard times and people couldn't pay their bills and they would lose their land. That was a horrible thing to lose your land. If you couldn't pay the, whatever it was, some sort of a crisis and you, can't, you lose your land is a huge deal. So there were two ways to get your land back. I'll do one here, one or two. The first way you could do is you could wait 50 years. The first way means you could wait 50 years, wait, and after you wait 50 years, automatically whoever's living on that land has to give it back to you. It's called the Jubilee. I don't care who you are, I don't care if you've been living there now, it now belongs to that person who it originally belonged to. Okay, the other way, was what was called, <clears throat> this was called, this is an automatic, automatic, and here's this word, redemption of the land or the property. It's an automatic redemption. You wait 50 years, it's yours. Your kids, eventually we're going to, you know, great, 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 great grandchildren, okay? There was another way called through a kinsman redeemer. Just like Boaz. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing called a kinsman redeemer, and this is what's called an intermediary. Intermediary. Mediary. Redemption. Somebody jumps in before the 50 years and says, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. So what we end up having here is that uh, this kinsman redeemer was called a goel. Hebrew word is goel. And the goel, whoever decided that they wanted to help to try to do this, fix it, was that there were, when, this, when the land got given away, there were two documents. And they were here and they were there. So if nobody came in 50 years, there was the automatic thing. But this first document was a public document. And what it did was it listed how the uh, property had been lost, and it also listed uh, like the what was necessary to buy it back. So needed what you needed, what kind of cash or whatever. The second roll, the second uh, uh, piece of paper was rolled up in a scroll. These are the scrolls that we're talking about in Revelation. It was rolled up like a piece of paper. But inside there, inside that piece of paper, was inside, like just right now there's writing, inside there was not just uh, the public information, which is like this is why they lost it, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But this is also, on the inside, is a listing of what, what actually goes with the property. The contents, for example, the house, 
the farming equipment, the donkeys, whatever. Everything, every part of the contents of this thing were inside the scroll and it was sealed. It was sealed. And if someone came along and said, I will pay the price for this and be an intermediary redemption, they got whatever was on the inside here. They got the entire contents. Now, this is important for us to understand when we look at the scripture because in heaven, it says they're singing a song saying, you, God, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy. And to break its seals because of your blood. You paid the price here. So, And what is on the inside? Look, look, look at me. What's on the inside of this is your name. This is the book of life. So in a sense, when Eden was lost, Eden was property. It was property on the earth, and it got taken away from us. So he, re he rebought it. He redeemed us. And what did he redeem us for? It goes on to say there, he redeemed us to make us back into a kingdom of priests and kings which is where we had been before the fall. It was Tam, to redeem us to Tam. So in this picture, if I don't know, if I don't know this and I sing that, it's kind of vague to me, but now when I sing, you're worthy. I know what I'm saying. You bought back land for me. You brought back a home for me. You bought back for me this place called paradise. It's the third heaven. It's the, you bought this back for me. You bought it back for me, and it's so that I can live in a place of function and not so dysfunctional. Wow. When I sing to God, and I know that, whenever I sing worthy, then I get it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a song that has worthy. Do you know this one? Let's see if I can play it.
I thank you. I thank you that you bought it back. I thank you that your Bible is full of wonder and mystery. I thank you, Lord, that you give me the opportunity to learn of you. I ask you, Jesus, for these babies, these sweet ones, even the ones that feel like it could never do this, Lord. Just squeeze them and say, yep, you can. Yep, you can. Help them to write songs that reflect all that they learn for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Oh, put that in my pocket. Yeah. Thank you, Terry Terry. You're welcome. Um, let's not forget uh, this afternoon one.